In 1 Samuel 1, through uh, skipping the, the psalm part that I read as the call to worship, chapter 2, verses 21. There was a certain man from Ramathiam, a Zuphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of <clears throat> Jeraham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. No razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. When the man Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband, told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought them to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you, praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. 
For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. Chapter 2, then Hannah prayed and said, this was the call to worship. Skipping that to verse 11. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. (coughs) Eli's sons were wicked men, and they had no regard for the Lord. Now, it was the practice of the priests with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice, and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the man said to him, let the fat be burned up first, and then take whatever you want, the servant would then answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. Interjection here. The Old Testament law provided that the fat was always the Lord's, never the priest's. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for this word and this example before us of the faithfulness of Hannah and of her husband Elkanah. The way in which you called forth for yourself this child, this infant, this child, this young man, this prophet, Samuel. We ask, Lord, that you would bring fruit to bear in our lives, regardless of our situation or circumstance, that you would bring forth fruit in our lives that would give honor and glory to you, even as you brought forth fruit from the lives of this couple. I pray that my words would be faithful in keeping with your word and honor you. We pray that your word would reign supreme as it is true and holy and just, and it alone is capable of teaching us the words and the will of God our Father. In Jesus' name, amen. When I preach every Sunday, my sermon is designed to express God's word in such a way so that we would be able to go from this point and see God's will and applying it to our lives. <coughs> what I would like to do this morning in honor of Mother's Day is to do something a little bit different. And I have a little trepidation in doing something different. You know how you establish a pattern of doing things. Um, but instead of seeking to explain this passage and specifically what it means, what I'd like to do to you with you today is just read <coughs> something that I've called an autobiographical narrative. How did Hannah put 
what we see in Scripture. We see a barefaced account of what happened. We see some of her emotions as well. But I'd like to flesh some of this out. Understanding at the same time, and I'm frequently talking with uh, Sandy about this and, and with the kids, because it's amazing how <clears throat> often people can hear things that are speculation and turn it somehow into their minds into exactly what the Bible said about a specific account. So you have the Word of God before you, and what I'd like to do is suggest an autobiographical narrative from Hannah's standpoint. There were many aspects of my life that were unbearable, all centered around that one feature of life which held vital importance to me and every woman of my acquaintance, children. Unfortunately for me, it was the lack of a child. Like so many experiences in life, I could say that having no children, being barren, as I was called, is something that you must experience to know how awful it is. I could not count the number of times I wept over my loss. Being barren was difficult enough, but it certainly wasn't eased any by our circumstances, for the other woman in the house had a houseful. Good for getting the work done, all those children around the house, but not any comfort to my heart, far from it. Penina was the other woman's name. I did not share our home with Elkanah, my husband's mother, as so many do. I shared with Elkanah's other wife. I've often wondered what it would be like to share my home with my mother-in-law, but that's not important. I know that sharing home and husband was trial enough. Penina, bless her, was a woman who was not content having what others did not have. She increased her pleasure at that time by taunting me with my lack. So while she had plenty with children to spare, I had none, and the bitterness of soul to accompany it, and Benina's taunts. I look back now and cannot believe the anguish that I suffered. <clears throat> but as I am now on the far side of the trial, my memory may just have dimmed. I only know that she sought to tie me up in knots and succeeded nearly every time. She did her best every time we traveled to Jerusalem for the feast. It seemed that perhaps it was the nearness to religious ceremony which caused her to be, I'm not sure what, envious of my trust in the Lord's provision and care, extraordinarily proud of the way the Lord had blessed her with children and left me out. For to her mind, the Lord had chosen to curse me by making me barren. I did not know what it was that caused her to wish to torment me, particularly at that time. But Elkanah was so kind to me. My dear husband, attentive, considerate, sharing my sorrow as best he could. Trying so hard to ease the situation. I don't know if Penina saw, but I must assume that among the many eyes that were eyes for her, at least one pair could not help but notice and report back to her the way it was. Elkanah always gave me a double portion of the meat from the sacrifice. Everyone else got one share, I got two. It was a small comfort to me, and if he had not been so compassionate and tender a husband, even that once-a-year signal could have given me courage throughout the year as I compared my lot to that of my rival and to the other women in our village. Although I was not blessed with children at that time, I held dear the love of my husband. This I did not take for granted. While many women find competition that is a trial, whether in their homes or outside of their homes, the love of a husband is an anchor indeed. (coughs) 
when Penina went after me, <clears throat> goading me about my childlessness, and I would begin weeping, <clears throat> and in my sorrow could not eat, Elkanah would say to me invariably, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? I do not know how I should have borne it if he had not meant more to me than ten sons, for he did. But he couldn't be both husband and child at the same time. Being thankful for the finest husband a woman could want, I wanted the children I still did not have, and I wanted also to please him with our children. I had confidence then, as I do so now more fully, that the Lord is the God of mercy, provision, and compassion. So one year when this happened, as it always did after eating from the sacrifice, I stood near the door of the temple and prayed my heart out. I found that there is no balm so soothing, no cure so certain, as to lay my sorrows and troubles in the hands of the Lord. So as I wept with all the pent-up passion of my heart, I prayed earnestly but quietly, so that my grief and my words would remain private before the Lord. Eli, the high priest, was sitting nearby, by the door to the temple, and in observing me, he assumed I was drunk. My intensity of feeling and prayer must somehow have been obvious. He charged me with drunkenness, and at the gates to the temple, no less. Had I not been intent upon my conversation with the Lord, this accusation would have overwhelmed me. <coughs> I begged him to understand that he was mistaken, letting him know I prayed out of anguish for the Lord to hear and answer my prayer. And Eli graciously added his blessing to my prayer. <clears throat> Perhaps you have prayed for something with urgency and earnestness. Something that troubled you as my situation troubled me. And you knew that God alone could provide a solution to your situation. And then you found another to affirm and join in your prayers as I found Eli that day. The high priest did not know that I prayed for a son and, and that if my, or our, prayers were granted, he would have my son to raise and train in the ways of the Lord and in his service. Though he did not know that, he added to my prayer his blessing. It was comfort indeed, regardless of the outcome. I could but wait and see what the Lord would do. And know that not only the high priest Eli gave his blessing to my prayer, but also that Elkanah, too, as a godly man, was also praying for God's answer to my prayer for one child or many. Waiting for the answer to that prayer was not a new experience, nor the last time that I have had the same thing to do. Waiting is leaving the thing in the hands of God, who alone was able to accomplish what I asked, for him to deal with the matter as he saw fit, when he saw fit. You know the joy I felt when I learned some months later that the Lord had seen fit to bless my prayer with a yes. And so though I knew it all along, it was with joy that we chose to name this son of God's giving Samuel. So that every time his name was pronounced, we could proclaim by the name we gave him, God hears. <clears throat> the difference between the anguish of having no children... And the position I was then in, having born Samuel, being in the group now of those who have received the treasure they have earnestly longed for, the gift of a child, is a gulf quickly crossed over after the birth of that first child. 
But I was mindful of my promise, and Elkanah was also. Indeed, more than aware of my vow to give Samuel to the service of the Lord, Elkanah affirmed it. Without his affirmation, I could not have fulfilled it, for as my husband, he had to affirm the vows I made before the Lord for them to be binding. His gratitude was so great for this answer to our prayers that he, too, anticipated honoring the Lord by taking this child, God hears, to serve at the temple with Eli. But having gone through many years of my grief at childlessness, I believed he affirmed my vow to give the child to the Lord in order to honor the Lord rather than because he was certain that I would rejoice when the day come, came to give him over to the service of the Lord. Upon learning of my vow, Elkina's affirmation of my vow, I believe our friends were not certain what to think. They certainly questioned whether, having achieved my goal, I would be content giving the child away that I had received as God's gift. They certainly questioned whether <clears throat> we, would, we would do this thing which we had promised. I suppose I could have wished Elkina would have denied my vow, therefore removed any obligation for me to take the child to Eli to serve the Lord. I suppose having received this gift from the Lord, I might have sought other ways around the giving back part. I often have thought as I look back that the year following my earnest prayer at the temple, when God hears, was a tiny infant, and I begged leave to stay home with the child that year, as the family and all Israel went up for the feast, that at that point, Elkanah may have doubted my determination. He said, do what seems best to you. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. I truly wonder if, in his gentle way, he was reminding me that the child indeed was the Lord's by virtue of our vow because he also had chosen to be bound by this vow, and in so doing, give up a promising addition to the family. And in so doing, reminding me and telling me kindly that I should enjoy this child for but a short time. Love Samuel as I did, I had no intention of trying to cheat the Lord of this, his wonderful gift to me. That year I did not get a double portion of the sacrifice, nor any portion at all. That year I would not have had to suffer the taunts of Penina had I been there. My heart was full. <coughs> the bows of the warriors, the bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry hunger no more. She who was barren has borne seven children. But she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sets them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. The time came soon enough to take the child to the temple to be raised there by the wives of the priests taught by the priests. <clears throat> we took him, we blessed him, and left him. Hard for a young child, hard for his mother and father, but necessary for the glory and honor of the Lord. 
But I took great joy in telling Eli that this child, God hears, was the result of my prayers and his blessing of previous years. And I said to him, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give to the Lord him to the Lord. For his whole life he shall be given over to the Lord. And he praised the Lord for his grace to Alcana and me along with us. As I have raised the children the Lord saw fit to bless us with since then, I've come to see that in many ways, taking God hears Samuel and presenting him to the service of the Lord at the temple was an easier task than giving a child throughout the years of his growth to maturity to the service of the Lord when he grows up in my very own home. With God hears far away at the temple, where we saw him but once a year, there were no decisions that we had to make or could make regarding his welfare. We did not choose his food, his clothes, though I worked each year to make him a robe that would not that would do him credit as he served and learned. We could not choose his service, we could not choose his friends or his treatment. We did not discipline him, teach him, or do anything that affected his welfare except pray for him. And that we did. But all these other matters were in the hands of Eli, the high priest. His sons Hophni and Phinehas, also priests, and others in the community at the temple, whether they were worthy of that trust or not. There was nothing we could have done or would have done to alter his situation. He was completely in the hands of the Lord, as in truth all people are. Except when we have the training of them, it seems we are more in charge and the Lord less so. We entrusted him to the care of the Lord, knowing that the one who was compassionate and gracious enough to give him to us was also providing for him by his almighty power, regardless of the character and training of those who watched over him. That the one who entrusted and gave him to us was providing for him, yet when we were far away. And he has indeed taken God here, Samuel, safely through many perils, used the godly and the ungodly to achieve his purpose of making our Samuel a man fit for his service. But giving him up, though by far the most difficult gift in return to the Lord I have ever made or ever hoped to have to make, was when once done, irrevocably done. There was no taking him back. Giving up his younger brothers and sisters, entrusting them daily to the care of the Lord when we were so near, so able to care for them ourselves and influence their futures, was not done once, but a thousand times, and not one of those times the last. Although not as difficult a gift to the Lord, putting each child's welfare and future in his hands, Entrusting each child to his care daily was an act of will and faith that required constant submission to the Lord. And I'm not done yet. Let's pray. Dear Father, we ask that you would bring your word to life in our hearts and our lives. That we would be people who sacrifice our all. Recognizing that our all is only what we have received from you. Recognizing that all we have and are is a tribute to the Almighty God and to your gracious, tender compassion and mercy upon us. 
We pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts so that we would use the things that you have entrusted to our care, the children that you have entrusted to our raising, the husbands, the wives, the brothers, the sisters, the parents that you have entrusted to our care, whether or not we are in authority over them. Help us to use all these relationships and your love in these relationships. Help us to use all of the possessions that are ours, the talents, the skills, and the abilities at our command so that you would receive the honor and the glory. We pray that we would not stint in giving back to you what you have so graciously and compassionately bestowed upon us. Help us to seek throughout every aspect of our lives how we can better serve you, how we can better use the blessings you have bestowed upon us to your honor and glory. Keep us from getting caught up in our own personal and selfish needs, wants, and desires. And help us to get caught up in advancing the kingdom of God. For you are indeed a gracious and compassionate God. In all these things and for all these things, we give you thanks and ask your work in our hearts to make us humble and responsive to you. In Jesus' name, amen.